Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of uh, our Monday morning live devotional. Um, you could check us out in a number of places. Uh, you could join us live every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Mountain Time on Facebook Live, uh, wherein you could see my groggy Monday morning face in the flesh. Uh, you can also find these recorded on the SovereignHope.Church website, uh, or you can find them on the podcast, where you can also find uh, the sermons and some of the other various interviews we're doing <clears throat> right now. And uh, for those who don't do podcasts, I'll make the appeal to you always and forever. It is so nice. You can put in headphones. You can speed it up. You can slow it down. Don't know why you'd want to slow it down, but um, because all you want to hear on a Monday morning is a more groggier, slower version of my voice. But uh you could do that from either the Google Podcast app or iTunes <clears throat> or whatever podcast app you use. You just search Sovereign Hope Church. And uh, we're continuing working through the F260 Bible reading plan. And we are uh, today in Proverbs 1 and 2. We've been following the story of Solomon now. And actually, what you read on Friday uh, for Solomon's prayer for the temple in first Kings eight is one of my favorite uh, prayers uh, in scripture. Actually one of the, the passages which made me long for Jesus the most, because if you remember reading it, there's this cadence that Solomon builds out where he says, uh, you know, if we've sinned uh, and we turn to your place being the temple and you hear from heaven, then turn and forgive us. And then later he goes on, if we've sinned and we've been taken away um, and you we turn to your place and you hear in heaven, then turn and forgive us. If the foreigner sins against you and we turn to your place, then hear in heaven and forgive us. And there's this repetition of when God's people, regardless of what goes on, whether it's sin, whether it's famine, whether it's persecution, whether it's exile, if they turn to God's place, God will hear them from heaven and forgive them. And uh, that... Psalm makes me long for Jesus because here we have Jesus on the cross um, crying out to God. He is being forsaken. God is not hearing his pleas. Why? Because now when we look to Jesus as the suffering Christ, as the true temple, we know that because God didn't answer Jesus's prayer to remove that cup, that regardless of our experiences, we could look to Jesus, the new temple, and know that God will hear in heaven and forgive. So I love First Kings chapter eight, um, and what <clears throat> the the authors of the F two sixty Bible reading plan have us doing now is beginning uh, this week. Most of the week, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, uh, which are written uh, largely by Solomon. And there's a couple things I want to get into uh, before we dive into Proverbs 1, which is what we'll be looking at today. Uh, those of you who have joined the Wednesday group, you've heard this before, our Wednesday uh, live Bible study. But there's two things that we want to be aware of when we're reading um, literature, uh, specifically wisdom literature and following the narrative. That's kind of what we're doing with this Bible reading plan. We're following the broad strokes or the narrative of Scripture, the story of Scripture. And the first thing we want to see is that David and Solomon form this pinnacle um, of God's rule of his people in Israel. And so if you envision um, kind of like a mountain peak, there's uh, one side that starts at nothing and rises up. And that's David going from the shepherd boy all the way up to the kingdom of Israel. And then there's a side that starts on the top and goes back down. And that's Solomon taking over the kingdom. And at the end of the kingdom, the kingdom's going to be in total disrepair. 
And this is due in part to the sins of both David um, with his sin with Bathsheba and also the sins of Solomon and his sin with his many, many wives. Uh, and you see some of that sin reflected in the books of Ecclesiastes, which also is wisdom literature. And so uh, the David and Solomon connections in scripture is this pinnacle that shows both the primacy, um, the golden era of God's people in Israel where the kingdom was flourishing at its fullest, right? Uh, I, I said last Wednesday that uh, life in David's kingdom or Solomon's kingdom is probably the closest um, any human has had to what the kingdom of God will be like in heaven. You had God's chosen king. You had God's nation established. The borders were secure. There was flourishing. There was wealth. There was um, social justice. And yet uh, we see how we need a better king, even than the greatest kings of David and Solomon. Their sin caused the kingdom to fall away. And that hurt not only the king, but it hurts the people, right? The good of the people is in the good of the king. And that's one reason why this storyline is important for us. <clears throat> and secondly, uh, we're beginning to read wisdom literature. So it's not just poetry, but it's wisdom literature. And in the Bible, there's uh, a couple of books. Psalms has some wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature, which is what we're looking at. Job, um, Song of Solomon. Uh, James in the New Testament is wisdom literature. And why is it important to understand wisdom literature when we read it? Uh, because if we don't understand the nature of wisdom literature, we are going to constantly be frustrated with God because he doesn't seem to be true to his word. Because we'll read things in wisdom literature um, that talk about the flourishing of the wise, the flourishing of those who repent, those who, like I always use the example, um, Proverbs says, train a child in the way in which he should go and he will never depart from it. And yet we have godly parents who have raised their kids and one of them or all of them perhaps do not follow God. Does this mean God's word is not true, that his wisdom is not wise? Um, no. Wisdom literature is idealistic literature, meaning wisdom literature shows the world as it should be with helpful tips on how we live in a world when it's not as it should be. So it's, it's really opening it up and saying, in God's ideal kingdom, this is why wisdom literature happened at the pinnacle of the kingdom. In God's ideal kingdom, this is what life is like. Wisdom always leads to your good. But then as we read wisdom literature and as we read James, you see that we don't live in a perfect world. There are people who sin against you. There are times where you have struck your hand in pledge and you're unable to fulfill it. Um, things that are not ideal, and yet wisdom literature helps us know how to respond in all of that as well. And so wisdom literature is idealistic. And so we want to live under the assumption, kind of like for those of you who listened to the sermon yesterday, we want to live under the assumption that the gospel will produce beautiful works in our lives. And yet we're not disheartened when those beautiful works are pressed up against by culture. In the same way, we want to live our lives as if wisdom literature and its ideals are always true in our life. And yet there are going to be times where living a life of biblical wisdom is not always met with the reward of biblical wisdom in the way and in the time we seem fit. Uh, there's trial, there's suffering, there's breakdowns because of sin. So those are the two things I wanted to touch on before we got into um, Proverbs. Our Bible reading plan today actually has in Proverbs 1 and 2. For the sake of time, I'm just going to focus on Proverbs 1 this morning. And so we're going to process through those three questions, look up, what does this passage teach us about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, look in, what does this passage teach us about ourselves as image bearers, as humans, as sinners, as saints, and then lastly, look out, how does this passage change the way we live as Christians, as church members, as husbands and wives and brothers and sisters, 
So looking up, um, the first thing we see is we see that wisdom starts with God, right? We see this um, kind of typical proverb verse in uh, Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so here you have this prescript in Proverbs 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, and it kind of describes what it's going to do. It's going to describe the wisdom he's going to give, the results of it, and then it kind of concludes with this summary of the, of the first section of chapter 1 with verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this is really important because we understand first and foremost that wisdom begins with God. Um, and this means that God doesn't need wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom is by nature something that shows our finitude and God's infinite knowledge. God does not need wisdom. Why? Because he is wise. He is God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And this is something that is so um, necessary for us to recognize because our world is always going to stress and stretch places where we see and recognize the need for wisdom. In fact, you get on uh, social media today and you will have eight friends posting eight things about COVID-19 from all sorts of different perspectives. And we recognize that our world needs wisdom. We don't know what is going on in our world. We don't know um, which news article to believe. We don't know who can fix it. And we are so afraid in our world of being duped. Of, of being seen as a fool. And yet in, in those moments, actually the potential of our foolishness, the potential of us being duped, the potential of us putting our eggs in the wrong basket reminds us that God cannot be duped. God knows all things. God is the source of all wisdom. And so when we talk about wisdom, we're not just talking about arbitrary knowledge or facts or brilliance. We're actually talking about understanding the way in which God has given us ideal principles for his rule, principles that were in place in Eden, principles that will be in place in the new Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, and principles that in shades and shapes we see in our broken world today, and that already not yet that we talked about yesterday in the sermon. Um, and that leads to the second point. Not only does wisdom start with God, but it means that wisdom starts with humility. So many times uh, the wise man is kind of this self inflated know-it-all. But in scripture, that's not the case. Um, when Solomon prayed for wisdom, right, this is a gift. Even Proverbs is not because of Solomon's studliness in the realm of wisdom. It's because Solomon, in the stroke of humility, when God anointed this young boy as king, he gave him like the magic wish, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon goes to God and he says, I do not know how to lead your people. I need wisdom. How many of us have that humility to go to God and say, I don't know, but I know you can help me. And so wisdom is first and foremost a, 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 an adventure into our own humility, realizing that we are not omniscient. We are not infinite. We are not infallible, but God is. And so we go to God in the posture of humility because we know we need him. We cannot outgrow the utility of God in our lives. And we also know that because of this, because God is the creator of the world, right? We see that in Genesis 1, we see that in Colossians 1, we see that all throughout scripture, and the sustainer of the world, it means that the only realistic view of this world is a view that 
that takes into account the wisdom of God. You remember those those cubes growing up? Um, they've got all the holes, like a, a hole for the square and a hole for the star and a hole for the circle. And you take the circle and you got to find the right um, slot that matches it to put it in. That's the wisdom of God. Is we've been given all of these little bricks, and the only way we can actually make sense of them is to see it through the lens of how God created it to be. And so Christians have a unique way in which, like all of humanity, we're all wrestling for wisdom. But distinctly, Christians can look at how God created things and the ideal nature. See, there's that word again, ideal nature of how he created things. And we can begin to make sense of things, which means we know what it looks like to live a Christian life. But it also means we are not surprised when the Christian life does not bear always and only wonderful things because we understand that sin has ruined things. Because God has told us, God has shared that wisdom with us. And so the wisdom of God keeps us from being, uh, even as we talked about yesterday, not overly triumphalistic, thinking that it's all roses and riches, but not overly defeatist, thinking that, well, because there's brokenness, because there's sin, God's word that talks about his goodness and his promise um, is irrelevant. We see that God is good and wise, even in this valley of life that we're in right now. So wisdom starts with God. God doesn't need wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom is first and foremost a search for humility, recognizing that we have a need that only God can provide. Um, and so that's what I saw in looking up in this this morning, is God's unparalleled nature when it comes to wisdom. And so looking in, um, the first thing I saw, and I'm going to read this passage with, with you, is the bloody nature of foolishness. The bloody nature of foolishness. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but uh, maybe you caught up on this. Here we are in Proverbs. We're talking about idealistic nature. We're talking about um, wisdom and and riches and, and all of those things that we typically think of when we think of wisdom and Proverbs. But look at what it says beginning in verse 10. I'm actually going to read through verse 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shale, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. So now it goes back. So that was the call of the fool. And now Solomon is speaking to us. Wisdom is speaking to us. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And so we see kind of two sides of wisdom here, don't, uh, of wisdom, and it's corollary uh, opposite foolishness. And the first is that foolishness, uh, which is not from this perspective, it's not looking at the world through the lens of God, but looking at the, the, the world through the lens of us, that we know what is best, right? We can fill our purse. That's what they're talking about. We'll all share one purse. We'll have possession. We will plunder houses and take what is ours. It's going all the way back to Genesis chapter three, where the Eve says, God's holding out on you, or where the serpent says to Eve, God is holding out on you. And that's what foolishness is. And foolishness we see has two um, negative impacts on the world is first is it harms others, right? They're waiting in ambush for the innocent. And we think, well, if I'm being foolish, 
I'm not really like causing the blood of others. But when you think about how our actions are perceived, if we are not um, if we are not living in the way God has called us to live, then it's not going to lead to good. It is going, even if all people do is observe your foolishness, okay, again, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, what people are going to see in your life is a model of foolishness. They are not being shown the wisdom of God. They're being shown the foolishness of the world. And so in the best case, all our foolishness does is convince others that the wisdom of God is not sufficient. And that is not good. But on the worst side, we actually, in pursuing foolishness and thinking that we know what is best in the world, we actually take from others. You see, when we believe in the wisdom of God and the goodness of God, we see that in the gospel, God has provided generously for all of our needs, which means we don't have to uh, extract anything from anyone around us because God has satisfied us. But if we lose that wisdom, if we lose the truth that in Jesus, God has given us everything, then we will naturally live our lives like our world, uh, our our uh, economy, um, our environment, and our neighbors can actually give us something. And so we will, whether we know it or not, manipulate or extort those lives and those circumstances so that they might provide things for us. And so foolishness, not seeing the world through the lens of God's wisdom, will force you to view those around you as utilities and tools for your own gain instead of fellow image bearers in need of redemption of Jesus. But then secondly, it, it hurts you right? Um, Solomon says this, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, right? It's foolish. Birds see the net, they're not going to fly into it. They're not even wise enough to hide your net. And then it says, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. And as we've seen all throughout the Bible reading plan so far, it's not that people want bad things. It's that they want good things, but they want them according to their desires and according to their wisdom and not according to God's plan and God's wisdom. And we so easily shortcut wisdom. We shortcut what God has said because we think we can gain it on our own. But in the end, that's going to hurt us. That's going to come back and bite us. It didn't work out good in the Bible. It's not working out good for us. It didn't work out good in church history. We can stop trying to think that our wisdom is better than God's wisdom. And we can realize that God has only good for us. God wants what is best for us. And so we can submit ourselves to him. And so don't lose sight of the, the bloody language that Solomon is using here when it comes to foolishness. It really does have a dangerous impact on the lives of others and the lives of us. And so that leads us to the second thing I see about my own heart in here is I see my infinite need for wisdom. If this is the end of foolishness, harming others and harming myself, I need something better because I get so often the only way in which I view the world is through the lens of my own wisdom. It's through the lens of pop psychology. It's through the lens of what culture says satisfies. It's through the lens of how my neighbors are living. It's through the lens of what my teachers are saying. But this is where we need wisdom and look at its effect and its source in verses two through six. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so in one sense, Solomon concludes, with something I was thinking when I saw, oh man, I'm doing a Facebook Live devotional on Proverbs. 
is that sometimes they're riddles and sometimes they're hard and to figure out the wisdom in it is difficult. But that's true of all of us in this broken world, in life in the already and not yet, life where Jesus has already saved us and yet we are not yet finally and fully saved. There is going to be times of confusion and wisdom takes determined effort to actually think and to consider and to ponder. And this is really helpful um, is, is we see wisdom here. The wise hear it and they increase in their learning. And there's so this this hearing of wisdom and then there's just increasing from it, which means this is uh, we often talk about the the Bible. You'll hear it called like a guidebook or a handbook and there's guide language in here. Um, but when we think about godly wisdom, we sometimes think of it through the lens of almost magic. Like if we pray to God, he will tell us specifically and explicitly what our next move is. And we kind of wait on God for that next thing. And if he doesn't explicitly and specifically tell us what that next move is, we don't move forward. But that's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom teaches us to learn and to see as if we are wise ourselves, knowing God's wisdom as the seedbed for that. And so I, I think I may have said that in a confused, confusing way. Uh, what this means is that the wisdom of God does not mean we look at scripture and here's just nice, neat check, check boxes for our lives. Instead, the wisdom of God, we hear God's wisdom and we begin the hard process of wrestling with our world through the lens of that wisdom, knowing that a checkbox isn't always there, but that we have what we need to know to make a wise decision. Um, I use this illustration uh, and maybe you have this too. I've realized that now the GPSs exist. When I go to new towns, I actually, I get to where I'm going, but I have no idea how I got there. Because I'm not looking at my surroundings. I'm not checking the streets to see which street is coming up. I'm just waiting for the GPS to say turn when it tells me to turn. And so what that means is if that GPS ever malfunctions, I don't have any landmarks in my life. I, I need someone to yell at me or to redirect me and to tell me where to go. Where I remember back in the, the, the MapQuest days, um, you kind of had to be aware with your printed sheets or with your atlas as to what was going on. And so if those checklists break down, you still had a general sense of where it is you needed to go. And if we view God's wisdom as this step-by-step -step instruction, we're going to be frustrated because one, the Bible doesn't provide that uh, in, in an explicit and specific way. But then secondly, there are going to be times where those next steps aren't always clear. And so I use this, this is a football analogy, so I'm not sure how this will go over. Um, but uh, there is, it's called a, a, a read option. And what happens is the quarterback is going to fake to hand the ball off to the running back who's behind him. And all he's watching is there's a defender on the edge of the line. And the quarterback is seeing if that defender cuts in, like he's going to move towards the running back, the quarterback keeps the ball and runs around the defender. And conversely, if the quarterback sees that the defender, when he's faking the handoff, is staying on the outside as if he's going to stop and wait for the quarterback, then he hands the ball to the running back. And the case in point is, is that that's all he's reading. It could be that he makes the right read and some other defender makes a tackle for a loss. But the point is that he's making the wisest decision he can by looking at the one thing that's in front of him and saying, what is wise in this circumstance? And then he trusts the rest to the offensive line, to the rest of the players. And so in one sense, biblical wisdom looks at what God has called us to look at and says, what is wise? And God hasn't made us to be omniscient. Just because we make wise decisions doesn't mean that everything we do is going to result in a nice, easy touchdown. But it means that we're being responsible to think biblically and gospel-centered on whatever is there, and we trust God with the rest. And so I see in my own life 
um, the danger of foolishness, how bloody it is to me and to those around me. And I see that God's wisdom is not this nice, neat checklist, but instead it's beginning to view everything I encounter through the lens of the gospel, knowing that in any circumstance, God has given me the wisdom I need to actually make a decision that adequately considers the wisdom of scripture. And I could trust God with whatever comes of it. And uh, this is at the end, you see the nature of this wisdom crying aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the heads of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of city gates, she speaks. And so the good news is that we need wisdom and wisdom calls out. And for us who are New Testament Christians, we look to Jesus in the New Testament where it says, he says, someone greater than Solomon is here. Uh, Charles Spurgeon calls Proverbs um, the jewels of heaven's hill. And yet Jesus is greater than the wisdom of all of Solomon. And so if we want to know what wisdom looks like, we actually look at all of scripture, Proverbs included, through the lens of Jesus, the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate wise man um, in scripture. And so this is where I begin to look out in this and uh, to explain my looking out, how does this change the way we live? I want to read for you verses 24 through 33. Because I have called and you have refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. And so here we see the danger of foolishness, right? The foolishness is it turns us away. It turns simple away. They won't go to God. And even if they go to God, they don't have what it needs to receive the forgiveness of their foolishness. But that's where we see the goodness of Jesus, where in Jesus, he has called out in an effective way. He has called out for those who were once fools. We see in James chapter one, um, kind of the opposite of this Proverbs, where because of what Jesus has done on the cross, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him go to God who provides generously to all who ask. And so we have in our lives, we need great wisdom. We need wisdom to see God rightly, first and foremost. And Jesus has done that on the cross by coming to those who have turned away and restoring our hearts to God. But now as we live out this Christian life, we need wisdom because we live in this already and not yet. We can see God's ideals, but we are not in God's ideal world as of right now. And so we know that regardless of what we're going through, we can look to Jesus and we can know that he in his gospel, in his love for us, in Proverbs being interpreted through Jesus, we know that he can actually give us wisdom. We might not know what the next four plays are. But we can look at that man who's coming off the line and we can say, how does Jesus change the way I respond to this? And we could trust God with the rest. And so in looking out, I see in my life um, a constant need to pause and to consider my current circumstances in light of what Jesus has done. And to ask myself specific questions. How does what Jesus did to reconcile me 
to God, how does that change the way I interact in this circumstance? To ask that explicitly to your own heart. And so I have actually three ways that we can go to Jesus when we have a need of wisdom. And the first is that we could pray. That's an obvious thing, but not to just pray in a pithy kind of American way, but to actually pray to help make sense of our lives by praying through our emotions. How do we feel in this circumstance? What's causing us to feel this way? And to say, God, I know that I want to respond either in fear and run away. I want to respond in vindictiveness and be justified over this trial or this individual. Um, but instead we go and we say, God, I want to see this through your lens. I want to act wisely for you. And then we can read. We can read Proverbs. We can go read the Sermon on the Mount. We could read James. We could read any aspect of the gospel. And in it, what the gospel shows us, it shows us God's heart for sinners. And it shows us the way sinners respond to God's heart. And so we see in that things that help us put off our sin and trust in Jesus. We see time and time again that it is not our timing that brings us safety and security. It is God's timing and trusting in that. And that grants us a pause. It grants us to consider posting on social media. It grants us to pause and consider how we're responding to our children or to our spouses or to our roommates. And then lastly, when it comes to wisdom, not only do we pray, not only do we read, but there is a sense. Solomon says is to understand proverb and saying the words of the wise and their riddles. We need to ponder wisdom, right? We do not have a magic eight ball that we shake and get immediate answers from. Sometimes what humble people do is they realize that they are too weak to make quick decisions. And so they wrestle with it in their heart. They wrestle with it in their mind. They invite others in to help them with it. And we begin to, to help others put together a piece of what Jesus has done. And that helps us understand how to act wisely in that moment. So what I see in this text is I see we have, we have the danger of foolishness, which has been overcome by Jesus on the cross. But now we have Jesus, the great and true wisdom, which infuses Proverbs, not only with the wisdom of Solomon, but the wisdom of redemption applied through Jesus Christ. And so might we be ones who see the exclusivity and goodness of God as the source of wisdom. We see our infinite need for it. And we go to Jesus daily so that we might be the wise man and not the fool. That our lives do not lay nets for ourselves or for others, but instead our lives are calling people to come to this infinite wise king who gave up himself, trusted in God's timing, and has shown us the way of the wise. So let me pray for us this morning. Um, thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next time. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that someone greater than Solomon has come, because even uh, your people who sat in the glory days of your kingdom, who heard Solomon, who saw his wisdom, who read his words, um, the wisdom of man was not able to change our hearts. And yet, Christ, you have come on the cross and you have lived Solomon's wisdom. And as a result of it, you have fulfilled the law. And now, by grace, through faith, you have regenerated our hearts and filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we might act with the wisdom of God. And so, Lord, I pray that our lives are noticeably different. I pray that we humbly realize that every aspect of our life only makes sense in light of the God who created it and redeemed it for us in Jesus Christ. Um, we pray this, that we would be a church who seeks wise living, not that we would look wise, but that God would look good. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a good week. We will see you later.